host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Thomas Jans. Tom, what's going on, man? Hey, bud. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to have you in studio on this uh, rainy Monday afternoon as we bounce around the league and talk about various things. But I think we should start with the Canucks, right? It seems like they are the talk of the league right now, and understandably so, after the start they're off to. I've referenced them a bunch on this show throughout the season so far as these games have gone along. But now that I have you here in studio, we can chat about them a little bit and kind of the start they're off to and, and what we expect moving forward. Because obviously, I think they've exceeded certainly everyone's expectations, but ours yeah. especially. Um, and there's a bunch of numbers you can reference. But I, do, I will say, I, I just think watching these games, now we can throw away the, the San Jose one because that's not really a proxy to anything resembling although, NHL listen, hockey. Although I'll be honest with you, I have an endless appetite for watching the San Jose Sharks get dunked on. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't have had them 32nd on our watchability no, rankings. I think we underrated how, like, the, the all-star game element right. of it. There's a spectacle to it at this point that I actually find I can't turn away from. Do you think we're going to get to a point where you start to feel bad for them? Probably not, because oh, they're, they're, all, they're all pro athletes. So I, like, I mean, I feel bad for them already. I, I just think the, like, let me let me put it to you this way. We're recording on Monday. Yes. The Canucks play the Edmonton Oilers, and the Edmonton Oilers are reeling. If the Canucks defeat the Oilers and their next game at 2-8-1 and one is, in, is against San Jose, you're telling me the eyes of the entire hockey world aren't going to be laser-focused on the Shark Tank? They are. It's going to be must-watch. It will. But that's also... For that, five minutes. As bad as things have gone <laughs> for Edmonton, that's also... They're not down that It's bad. the ultimate get-right spot. That's like the one where it's like, oh, McDavid and Dreisaitl aren't off to the pace that we're expecting from them. And then after that one, it's like, oh, whoa, they're, they're right back on track. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I want to see it. I was going to say, I think, you know, natural statric has like adjusting for various things and adjusting for venue and score and all that. Like we, I think we actually, as we get into the season, we're going to need a San Jose adjusted metric. Because if you're playing them and you're just putting up a 10 spot, it's that's going to... and. It's a good pivot here for us to talk about the Canucks. It's going to blow everything out of proportion, right? They've mm. had a couple of those games so far, but it's like, yeah, when you score 10 times on 32 shots, that's going to make everything look totally just out of whack. And right. that's not necessarily like we shouldn't, we shouldn't view what happens in one of these games as equally as what's happened in all of the other games they've played so far. So, well, and this is going to be something to keep in mind, especially because we're going to be discussing awards watch. We're yes. going to be discussing awards f- futures. Mm-hmm. Uh, our friend at ESPN.com, Greg Wyshynski, published his awards watch today in the Vancouver. It was basically a Canucks article yeah. that like, also mentioned Mitch Marner. Right. Like, it was wildly Canucks-centric. Yep. And should the Canucks continue to win, even if they don't win at this rate, right? Like, even if they are, you know, something like 15-7-2 and two going mm-hmm. into December or, or whatever, they're going to be at the forefront of a lot of these conversations. And I do think one of the reasons why... In addition to the fact that, you know, Hughes and Pedersen are out of their minds right now and Thatcher Demko might be at an even higher level than that, is the Canucks play San Jose two more times this month. Yeah. Like, by the time that's done, you know, (laughs) I mean, there's a real possibility that Quinn Hughes has, like, 12 points on December 1st that came against San Jose. Yeah. That's well within reach, considering that he's already at five. What was it last week on on your show Canucks Talk here on on the Sports Radio Network as well? We did a draft. We do drafts every Friday afternoon, and we did a draft of who what the first win for the Sharks is going to be. And I had someone actually tweet, tweet him in. They were like, "I think we're reaching the point where." And funny you mentioned that Oilers upcoming game. If it gets to that point, it's like 
we're getting to a point where teams are almost going to have it circle on their calendar as like this is this is the game of the year because we cannot totally. have this like on our resume as being the team that loses to these guys and I don't know I I, I had Lambert on uh, for a mailbag last week and we got a question about how many games this Shark team is going to win. And I think we were both like, I don't know, probably like 10 to 12 just because that's how hockey works, right? Mackenzie Blackwood will have a 50-save game and they'll win 2-1 or something. But then you watch the re- most two most recent ones, the Canucks and the Penguins games, and it's like, I don't, I just, that might not happen. Like, no. there's, there's there's nothing resembling NHL hockey in these games. There's no checking. There's no, uh, there's no defending. Like, there's no, like, if you watch that on the Canucks game, the, the breakouts, it's like, they're literally running practice drills. Like, I'm pretty sure Rick Tockett's practices are higher intensity than whatever resistance the oh, Sharks yeah. were able to pose that night. I've watched a lot of Canucks practices this year. And you can confirm you, that? You're, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, that's on point. Um, okay, so this Canucks team, 8-2-1 record at the time of recording, 29-11 goal differential at 5-on-5, five 48-22 five, goal differential overall. Now that's obviously buoyed a little bit by the 8-1 versus Edmonton to open the season. And, and then 10-1 10 10 against the Sharks. Yep. Sure, certainly. They're first in the league in shooting percentage, 15.3%. Yeah. Second is LA, a team I, I really like and I've spoken highly of, but they're at 13%. So to put that in, that gap into perspective, how big of a chasm it is, the distance between first and second, Canucks and Kings, is the same as second Kings and 13th Jets in right. team shooting percentage. They're second in team save percentage behind just the Bruins at 934. And so... Can I throw some pepper on that? Absolutely. Uh, just want to spice this up a little bit. Yes. was looking at natural stat trick, and I know that um, ClearSight, for example, has has Demko at a similarly elevated mm-hmm. and outrageous perch. But uh, according to the data, natural stat trick, all situations, Thatcher Demko has faced 73 high danger scoring chances and has made 70 stops. That's a 960 against just the high danger stuff. Uh, at, you know, and if you don't believe that, ask Wyatt Johnston. I'll do you one better. Sport Logic has him at a 951 save percentage oh. on just inner slot shots, oh. <laughs> which are obviously the high. My and and I, I think like most of his peers are in like the 700s, just for perspective. Um, I'm high on Demko, but if you told me that the Canucks were getting 11 games from prime Dominic Hasek to open the season, I would definitely have been higher on them going into this year. And that's the sort of performance Demko has given them to this point. I guess the issue you kind of bump him to is it's such like a perspective or relative thing i guess right because on the one hand when you have an 11 game sample like this that's obviously inflated by percentages everything just looks like you're doing everything through rose tinted glasses right because it's like everything looks better everyone's performing better everyone's underlying numbers in terms of goals at least are much better it's like but and and so it kind of tricks your brain into being like well they're playing so well as a result of all these goals that why would we expect them to all of a sudden regress? And we know the percentages don't necessarily work that way. Well, and, and then you get into the point where, you know, this team is improved, right? I mean, their five-on-five five profile is better this right. year. Especially than, compared to expectations was, as well, right? For sure. Yeah. Uh, but but they improved almost immediately under Tockett, right? The Tockett bump last season was not something I was fading like the Boudreaux one. Like, it was more like, you know, for example, what we saw out of uh, – the Calgary Flames, when Daryl Sutter took over, they still didn't make the playoffs, but the next year... Yeah, they, they laid the, the foundation for yeah. what was going to come. So, I, I mean, there was there was heft to that um, beyond what we've seen in previous years. That's continued. Like, their five-on-five form is still good. I think their penalty kill is legitimately, you know, average, or if it's below average, it's not by a massive amount, and that's an area where they bled goals. Like, that's been a fatal flaw of this team. 
the power plays at least as good and, and might be better, frankly, uh, with the new movement system that Tockett himself has installed. Uh, we know that Thatcher Demko is good. Like, we, we don't think he's 95% of inner slot shots good sustainably, but we think he's yeah. a, an exceptional goaltender. So you sort of put that together and, and you run into this issue that's difficult to explain to fans where it's like, the bounces aren't going to last, but that doesn't mean that this team's going to begin to play poorly. Right. It just means that right now, if you buy the results, you're like, well, that's the best team in the NHL by a good margin. And and really, it's it's like, based on their underlying profile anyway, it's more like a solid playoff team. Yeah. And that's still, you know, a, a huge win and also probably uh, on the sort of rightermost side of, of the bell curve, at least as I saw it. Uh, going into this campaign. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good... That's a way to summarize is they, they could keep playing the exact same way they've played so far mm-hmm. and lose three of the next five games, and that wouldn't necessarily mean that they started playing more poorly. It's right. Just, well, and you have to avoid, like, the 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 thing that I can see happening is this club's going to hit a rut that doesn't necessarily... is not necessarily indicative of their form. Right. And and you're gonna hear the like we have to start playing we have to get back to our game mm. you know what I mean or yes. or one thing that crops up when a team starts hot is like the identity conversation which is by the way one of my least favorite conversations in hockey across the board right but you know it's easy to have the identity conversation when your identity is everything goes your way you know to this point that's been part of what we've seen with the Canucks but I do believe that there's real substance behind this yes I don't think this is one of those total mirage uh you know mike yeo mike yeo minnesota wild randy carlisle toronto maple leaf style teams yes um and with the lead they've spotted themselves right they've spotted themselves such a big lead in the pacific at this point already you know they're they're going to be a mid 90s point team even if they're like 90 92 point percentage the rest of the way they're they're likely to be a playoff team, and I think you're already able to say that about them. Yeah, banking points, especially to this degree earlier in the season, is probably something oh. we don't put enough emphasis on just because we know as the year goes along with so mm-hmm. many three-point games, it's really tough to make up gaps, and totally. also it's really tough to, like, because even, even if the percentages regress or whatever and you start playing, even let's say you start playing more poorly, you're still going to win games. Like, it's not yeah. like all of a sudden you're just going to, like, oh, we're going to lose the same amount we just won. That's not how hockey really works. No. Um when you say the identity thing, I think I know what you mean, but I, I just wanted to clarify because I'm with you. Like, I think it gets, like, misused and misappropriated. I do like when I have a feel for what a team does well, though. Like, for if sure. a team's going to be good, I think they need to have one quality that's, like, not necessarily theirs. Other teams might do it as well or better, but, like, separates them, especially when they play worse teams. It's like, what are you going to do that's going to differentiate you from the 25th best team in the league? Right. And... I think we can already see that at least with this team. So in a sense, like they have that going for them. And I do think that's a real thing. I'm sure it, I, I just would it gets say, overblown for sure. I would just say like the, the identity of this team dating back four or five years, like dating back across multiple coaches, right? Part of it anyway, in, in my mind is with the man advantage, they're lethal. Yep. And they have this edge in net. So you have to be on your game because they are going to be slightly more efficient than you at yep. both ends. Now, does that lend itself to, in part to the PDO burst that they're on? I mean, you can debate that, but like, I think that's been an identity for this team going back a while. Like, this is a skilled team with a lot of one-shot finishers. We saw that in the bubble. 
Uh, we saw that under Travis Green. We saw that under Bruce Boudreau, and I think we're still seeing it. Like, I, I think this team's identity has been consistent and remains what it is. Um, I, I just think that they've added some, like, solidity underneath that. But I don't think that solidity, that control of games, is their identity insofar as the other attributes <laughs> about them stand out more to me. It is. I want to circle back in a second. Just we, You made a note there about the hot start. I think it does kind of cut both ways maybe though. Like I I think just looking at purely their underlying metrics and being like mm. they're this percent expected goals, even if you adjust yeah. for score, probably isn't painting an accurate picture, right? Yeah. Like when you've led for, I think they've led for 52% of their totally. game time so far. And a lot of it shot. has been by significant margins too, not just like a one holding on to a one goal lead. I think we know part of score effects isn't just getting outshot. It's like, your own save percentage is going to go up, right? Because the other team is just kind of throwing pucks totally. as much as they can on net. And your own shooting percentage is going to go up because you're you ca- counter. And Grant. so it's like, yeah. it kind of, it's like, it's like this self-fulfilling prophecy or kind of positive feedback loop where it's like, if your percentages are high to begin with, that's that means you're, 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 lead, you're leading by a lot. But then that's going to keep inflating those two things because they tie into exactly right. how you get to those totals. So obviously, listen. But, but that's also where I do think you get into this, right? Where it's like, Think about that Dallas win, which was so impressive from them, right? Yeah. Yeah. But there's that Demko save on Wyatt Johnston, right? That's a, even for a goaltender at the absolute top of his game, that's a what, five and a hundred, five percent save? Like yep. most of the time that's going in the net. Well, then it's a one nothing game. Then the Canucks are trailing. You know what I mean? Yeah, the pendulum totally shifts. And it totally warps everything. Uh, you have another outrageous Demko robbery at the end of the second. And so all of a sudden the second or the third period is the Canucks defending a two goal lead when... In a, in a world where there's normalized bounces, and again, this is an I- instructive way of thinking about this, I think, it's not like the Canucks are up to nothing. It's like they're yeah. tied, which isn't to say that they're playing poorly against a pretty good Stars team. Uh, it's just context for how over a small sample of games, a random distribution of positive events can sort of warp our perception of a team and and how... You know, a lot of what we're doing by looking at regression, by focusing on an underlying profile is to try and correct for that in advance so that we have a an advanced understanding and and what i mean by advanced is not like more detailed but like before it's obvious generally speaking in the results uh, of what a team's actual profile is the truth as it were about a team um but at the end of the day it's also hockey and you can only do so so well yeah i think if we get to the end of the season here's a question for you if we get to the end of the season what would you think is more likely they finish top let's say five maybe you can go top three in the west stream no in in shooting percentage or save percentage as a team? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's about equally yeah. likely on both. I don't think there's, you know, I, I think they do have a genuine play, uh, sh- sorry, I do think they have a genuine shooting percentage driver in, in Elias Pettersson. Yes. Elias Pettersson over large samples has tended to be Kucherov, Stamkos, tier in terms of driving uh, finishing efficiency and he logs a lot of ice time. Yep. Um, you know, so I, I think, I think ultimately that's more likely to be sticky than, for example, uh, and I buy that Demko is this good, but, you know, it's not just that they're getting 950-ish goaltending out of Demko. They're also getting 930 goaltending out of DeSmith. Um, You know, I I think goaltending is sort of the area that I would be, that I would be less confident about them being elite relative to league average. Well, the reason why I asked you that, I was thinking about that, and I kind of came to the same conclusion as you. And I was like, mm. I think the the high-end talent on this team, particularly when you like, I don't even think they scored a power play goal against the Stars, but a right. couple of those sequences where they oh. were just like 
they had them clinging on for dear life and they're yeah. flying the puck around. All of a sudden, they work that low triangle. It comes to Besser in the slot. He gets a one-timer. They get the rebound. Quinn Hughes gets a shot from the middle of the ice. Like, it's, you can see how lethal it is, right? Yeah. So it's like, all right, I think the shooting percentage is more sticky, but I think we just generally embrace the fact that goaltending, like anyone could finish realistically in the totally. top five. So that might actually well, make them more likely just because it's like, who knows? Well, look at the Canucks. I mean, they were literally first in the NHL in five-on-five save percentage in 2022, or sorry, 2023, 2021-22. Uh, yes. And then they were dead last for most of the year and then got like, Demko got hot at the end of the year under Tockett and it, they finished like ahead of a few teams, but they were well beneath 890 save percentage on the year last season of the year after being the number one team in terms of goaltending. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's like making a trick shot in basketball. Like you can do it once, but can you do it five times in a row? Um, and if you can, you're Steph Curry and uh, only the New York Rangers employ Shesterkin. So. Yeah. Yeah. I just think like the shooting percentage. So the, the league leaders in shooting percentage the last five seasons were 11.8 Edmonton last year, 12.4, 11.4, 11.2, 12.2. Like, yeah. if you're going to be the absolute best and you're going to be the most elite at driving it, you're still going to come in at 12%, which is really high. Yeah. If the Canucks are shooting 12% as a team right now, that's like 11 fewer goals scored, I think, right. which would still be like a They'd top 10 a top, team yeah. and we'd still view them as a massive positive surprise. But I think that would also temper things a little bit. Oh. And that's probably, I think, where we both come to right yeah um and and it's at both ends right and that's also you know the like if this was a thing that we saw during the the boudreaux bump for the canucks which you know i had a fade position on for a long time was it's not like they had this outrageous save percentage it's not like they had this outrageous shooting percentage it was just that they were a little bit lucky everywhere right and right now the canucks are a lot fortunate everywhere and that creates um this this perception of them and then a, a I think the discussion around them because it's going to be focused on so much by national hockey analysts, especially those who employ data frequently um, sort of becomes like a rallying cry for the fans. And and I think it's important to note that, you know, it's not like the analytics quote unquote analytics are saying that to be low on this team, like this team's underlying profile, I think is pretty strong, especially when you look at, you know, the largest sample data available to you, like shot attempts and, and all of that. I think there's a lot to like uh, analytically from this Canucks start. Let me reinforce that. So, and this ties into the identity conversation that you brought up and why I thought mm-hmm. it was interesting. Sporologic has them as a team 11th in rebound chances. Right. And first in four check chances created this year. Wow. And that's a, that's a sea change. And if you're going to stick to, like, if you're going to take the bull side of the Canucks argument, right? I, part of it's just going to hinge on they have superstars at each of the most important positions, right? Number one center, number one D, starting goalie. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be, all right, this team's playing really hard. And I don't know how sustainable that is in terms of like, and talk is not necessarily a new coach bump because he was here at the end of last year, but it's clear that like their play, like there's an effort level in place that might not have been there previously or whatever you want to attribute that to. Part of it is surely player-based, but I think the coaching staff deserves credit for that as well. There's a selflessness to it. Like this is not a team whose best players cheat for offense. Right. And in previous seasons, I think you could fairly say that. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. as as tough as that is to hear, I'm sure, I, I think that's the case. Talkit increasingly is just like beginning to feel like the right guy at the right time for the right team, right? Uh, there's no question about that. And the other thing that I was going to note was in watching the games, and you watch it in the in the Stars game, right? It's a 2 two nothing final score, 
But the reason why I brought up the Sharks earlier in terms of like just how much space there is everywhere and guys are essentially just like passing to whoever they want from the Canuck side and skating into open ice. I think a mark of a good team when you watch them is like the level of support that's always available, whether it's offensively or defensively, right? It's like a teammate kind of close by to provide an option to pass it to. I think previously, whenever the Canucks would have success, it would be like some superhuman individual effort from Quinn Hughes or yeah. Elias Pettersson. And they still certainly have flashes of those, no doubt about well, it. And you could see the barrage of chances against that the goalies were covering up. Yeah. I mean, that's not present this year. Yes. Like this does not... That's, that's the other thing. When you were watching the Boudreaux bump, like to me, it looked like the Randy Carlisle Leafs like it yes, looked like this right. team was being buried under an avalanche of scoring chances and it's like at the key moment it hit the post and then the Canucks would go back down and score you know and it's just like and there's a certain level of charm to that I think especially when it's attributed to Bruce Boudreaux yeah, and yeah. his personality and oh it's not not fun no you're watching it's not it. something you want to like gamble on moving forward as no also you're watching it with like a sense of that um of that, you know, um, they can't keep getting away with right. this. And not that, you know, you're angry about it, just like they can't keep getting away yeah. with this, like truly. And this does feel like there's no none of that feeling to it. It feels like teams have to work so hard to score against this team. And partly that's all of the inner slot chances that Demko's turning away. But also it's because they have to work really hard to generate scoring chances against this team. This yeah. team's, you know, uh, I think punching above their weight in terms of what they're giving up and, and how sort of sound they are structurally well there's no doubt i mentioned all the stats demko that he's feeling it but you just watch it and it's like part of it was i think goalies really care about shutouts like probably more than we do in theory it's like i can't i can't tell you who even led the league last year in shutouts it was probably like five or six of them it's not that many by any means remember jim carrey net detective yeah are you yeah i sure do but demko's got two already right he gives up the one late goal against san jose i think part of it is also like it's seeing a 10 nothing, it's like so clean totally uh but he gives up that goal and it, like you could just he's visibly distraught distraught and yeah. it's like almost unreasonably so considering you're still up nine and there's like five minutes left in the game but also part of it was like well i think he was interfered with yeah like, what he was, was what was funny about it was that was uh you know i never want to say 100 percent when you're challenging for goalie interference right because it's they're NHL all 50 50 no, they're not. They're not all 50. They are all 50 That one was like a 75-25. Canucks could have taken that off the board. And they had this great shot, credit to the Sportsnet Pacific broadcast of the Canucks bench. And you could see Talkit kind of like yeah. telling Demko, like, I'm sorry, man. Like, I'm not challenging a goal against in a 10-1 game. Like, we're going to let them have this. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that was a charming moment. Any other wrinkles on the Canucks before we go to break? And then we'll we'll talk more kind of league-wide and, and awards. I guess the thing I noticed... And it's not necessarily unique to just that one game, but how it worked in the Stars game was they essentially decided to use the Miller line with Hughes and Hronick versus Hintz, right? Well, they've done that. And then they had constantly. Pedersen on the Johnston line. Yeah. And when all those guys are playing at this level, it gives you this unique leg up because if Pedersen or Hughes are out there at this point with the way they're playing, I feel confident that regardless of who else is on the ice, the Canucks will come out as a net positive by any metrics you want to you want to look at. Yep. And so all of a sudden, if you're doing that, generally most teams don't have more than two threats you're really worried about. Yep. And so that increases your baseline so much because all your depth players need to do is just not be a disaster and you'll probably be pretty fine. That's been pretty systematic from the Canucks. Hughes has logged through 11 games, uh, 81 minutes, five on five with JT Miller and only 50 with Elias Pettersson. I mean, mm. that's a pretty dramatic yep. split. You don't get there. They're almost using them as a pairing as opposed to, like, obviously he's playing with Ronick, but. Yeah, and, and it's curious to me because I wonder, 
do, are you insulating Miller and Tufts with Hughes Heronic, or are you insulating Myers Susie mm, with Pedersen in secondary minutes against Pedersen? Um, well, because if Myers and Susie are out there, Peters with Pedersen, he's the best. Pedersen is the best defenseman on the ice, right? Well, I mean, I think Pedersen's the best defenseman on the ice with a lot of yes, you know. Patterson's the best defenseman on the ice with most Canucks defensemen who aren't Quinn Hughes. Yeah. And and look, this is the other thing that I think needs to get enough play, so I want to say it here on a nationally focused mm. um, podcast. Quinn Hughes threw 11 games, right? I'm not saying he's the best defenseman in the world. I think everyone, you have to give that nod to Makari. He's won the Cup. He won the Calder. Um, you know, he, he's a true freak. But through the first three and a half weeks of the season, like Quinn Hughes is played like the best defenseman on the planet this isn't like top three top five this isn't you know 2b 3b like number one reason why the canucks are off to the start it's probably thatcher demko's stopping everything in sight but like 1b (laughs) not in terms of player tiers yes i mean quinn yeah i was gonna ask is is he first year or third year (laughs) quinn hughes has gone up yes there there's no way to be a more impactful skater than what Quinn Hughes has been through 11 games. It's the best 11 games of his career. I've watched this guy play uh, just a wild amount of hockey, and this is materially different yeah. in a way that it's hard not to get carried away with. He's crushing it. So far, the Canucks are up 26-4 to four in his all situations, and part of that is power play, obviously, and part of yeah. the percentages we mentioned, but it's just it's comical like how often he's gotten to do that skate towards the bench and tap gloves with everyone compared to like being dejected. Um Eighth in the league in average offensive possession time with a puck on his stick. He's got the 16 points, obviously. I think I did a big show recently with Harm on it, so I don't want to get too in the weeds here. But I think a point that I didn't really make there, we talked about how he spent so much time this offseason working on his shot, trying to figure out the logistics of like how he can become more of a threat there. And not only is it cool seeing that pay dividends, but like his volume of attempts and shots on goal has like either doubled or tripled so far. But also compared to his historical norms, but also the number of rebounds he's creating, which has been such a big part of the team's offense. And part of that is the the tips and everything in front of the net. But like you're seeing everything funnel through him now. And it's just, it's a masterclass in terms of like dictating the pace and control of a game. Uh, two things too, is as it becomes more and more apparent that he's a shooting threat, he's go- there's going to be another layer for him to unlock where there's like the shot fake, right? Where yep. there's a gravity to him as a shooter that gives him more time to make even more efficient plays as a passer and that's like where this gets exciting is is it's right now he's sort of establishing himself as a shooting threat but i think there's another layer that he's going to unlock as teams have to react to him as a shooter going forward here and i think he's smart enough that he's aware of it which makes it so cool and then here's the last one you know quinn hughes early in his career was always paired up with uh like conventional shutdown defensemen right Shen, Jordy Ben, Tucker Pullman, um, Noah Juleson as recently as last season, Chris Tanev. And over the last year, the Canucks have put him with like Ethan Bear and then Philip Peronic. And if you go look through like his large sample with or withouts, like there's a totally different layer when you give him a puck mover to play mm-hmm. with, you know, a la Taves with Makar. And I think this is, uh, I sort of brought this up to him today. I was like earlier in your career, it seemed like everyone thought you needed to play with you know, a defensive player. And his reply to me was, well, I am a defensive player. Mm-hmm. And then he went on to explain how he feels like with Heronic, uh, they have the puck so much that he gets four or five additional opportunities, whether as a shooter or a passer than he would 
uh, otherwise. And I just thought that was an incredibly insightful way of viewing it. Um, it's maybe outside sort of the bounds of, of like conventional hockey wisdom, but turns out that when you get one of these elite puck moving defensemen, an additional puck mover, it feeds them more. And I, I think this is now a lesson from Colorado and now, and now with Hughes. Um, and I think one that I think a lot of teams would do well to heed. Yeah, no, certainly. And I, I and listen, when they made the trade, uh, the reason why I was skeptical of it wasn't not, I mean, clearly the way Hughes and Hronik have played so far this year has been just unbelievable. And yeah. I wouldn't have even expected them to be this good, but I never know. I don't think anyone should have doubted that they would work together. Cause like Kronik no. was a good player and Hughes is amazing. And yeah. so I was like, yeah, I'm sure that'll be a step up for him. The question was, and I think it's still kind of unanswered was like, does it make sense in the grand scheme of things when you probably, if you're investing this much in another defenseman, you want him to carry his own pair so that not everything so, like, when Hughes isn't out there, it's a dot tire fire. Yeah. And they've been able to piece it together, and also they, like, cobble together minutes situationally by sprinkling and Cole and Myers and all that. But it's still something that I think remains in the long view as, like, at TBD. But for now, just seeing the way they're playing together, it's like it's been a smash in that regard. Yeah, it's been a smash. I mean, I also think the team's results are such a crucial part of that context. My criticism of the deal was just based on, you know, if you're aspiring to win big, Right? Does a deal for a guy who's got arbitration rights after this season and will thus be more expensive uh, help you get there sustainably? Right? Like it was never a deal that I thought wouldn't make them better this season. Right? Um, nor was it a deal that I thought was for a, a player who wasn't going to be helpful. It, it's more about the long term of how does this team graft enough skill, cost controlled, long term, and does it help you to add a guy who's one year away from being super paid? Uh, versus adding, you know, two shots at like a lengthy uh, sort of runway uh, with cost control guys in, in a first and a second for a team in this circumstance. If they're eight, two and one, if they sustain this win rate over the rest of the season, I'm going to be way wrong. But I do think it requires this team to be to to make hay of this start. Like they they need to be a 105 point team and they need to be a real playoff threat, I think, uh, to pay off the underlying logic of this deal. Good start for them. Mm. All right, Tom, let's take a break here, and then when we come back, we'll uh, we'll move off the Canucks. We'll talk about a variety of other topics. You are listening to the Hockeypedia Cast Streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Merrick Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back here on the Hockeypedia Cast. We're joined by Thomas Drans. Tom, we did... 30 minutes or so on the Canucks on the, on the top of the show. Uh, we're going to move off them now and talk about a variety of other topics. Do you want to, just while we're kind of along these lines, switch gears and talk about the Pacific a little bit, or do you want to just get into our awards talk? Because I don't know how much how much mileage we can get out of the awards talk, because I just oh, feel I so silly. A it's a month in. Teams have played like 11 games. I know, but it's fun. All right. Let's, okay, let's just do it. Let's do it. Yeah, let's, let's right. do that, and then let's get to the Pacific, because... I do think there's some interesting things in the Pacific and some interesting value in the sports books right now, too. Okay, and so for the sake of transparency, what, abor- what awards do you vote, vote on? on. Yes. So I'm a PHWA member, yes. and every year I've been a PHWA member, I've been selected among the panel to actually vote on awards. Um, 
I do like to wager, but I've never wagered on hockey once. And okay, you don't need to give that a disclaimer. I think people know. I know. Although I they like do to... know about your nasty college basketball habits. Uh, first everything. day of college yes. basketball today, by the way. Yes. Um, no wonder you're in such a chipper mood. <laughs> I thought it was the eight two and one Canucks, but no, it's Oregon Georgia basketball. over. Let's go. Yes. Um, no the. So anyway. Uh, I vote as a PHWA panelist on a regular basis, although my selection in year after year is not assured, uh, for the Calder, the Selkie, the Hart, mm. the Norris. Oh, all the good ones. The Lady Bing. Ah. <laughs> and then first uh, and second team, all rookie, and first, second, and third team, all team. Those are PHWA uh, awards votes. The Vesna's voted on by GMs. Mm. Um, the... Jack Adams is voted on by broadcasters. Oh. And that's your and that's your awards rundown. I mean the Jack Adams and the Vesna are kind of the same award, right? I mean whoever win whoever wins the uh the Vesna, <laughs> their their coach will probably have a good chance for the Jack Adams. Yeah, that's true. I'm yeah. still I'm still on team um, you know, Tyler Dello once pointed out that the GMs should all vote for the ELC goaltender yes. in their own division on the hopes that they right, hit right, a right. bonus and sort their own cap situation. I, love I that. still think that's one of the great takes of uh, the last 10 years. Okay. So let's get into them then. I, 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 what I appreciate about you, and not that this is exclusive to you, I'm sure a lot of other voters do this, but I know just because we have a lot of these conversations, the diligence you do in terms of the canvassing and and... Yeah, I talk to a lot outsourcing of outsourcing and like just being like, "This is what I think." Am I totally off base? Yeah. Where are you? How are you looking at this? And so, yeah, it's, I like that because it's a lot of fun. Like the, I will say the voting process. I actually find it stressful, but it is fun to you know call up ten people who will answer your phone call in this industry. Well, because you, you don't want to be the one person who doesn't have McDavid first on their heart list, right? Like it's hundred <laughs> percent. But I, I, you know, I always do end up with something silly or something that no one else has that I stand behind um but like chris tanov i had for on on my norris ballot once um i think he deserved it mm. uh my my favorite sort of vote that was an only one was i had nick paul for selkie like four years ago and uh i feel like that take has aged well mm. he's good he is good um okay where do you want to start do you want to start with like we can just breeze through them yeah and kind of we'll see some might be more interesting than others sure i, I let's start with vesna all right because I think Demko at twelve to one <laughs> is a screaming value for a guy who should be the front runner at this point. Even if you believe that he's likely to regress, um, and even if he's never had a full, healthy starter season in which he sustained elite performance, like twelve to one for a guy who's out of the gates this quickly, yeah, at the first turn feels like wild value. Plus, he's going to have the Jack Adams correlation, like talk. It's pro- you know, a, a probably an early contender to to win coach of the year. Yep. And he's got the narrative heft of potentially carried team to the playoffs that we didn't expect to be there. Yes, but also I'm going to push back because I think with the amount of deserved attention that Elias Patterson is getting yeah. and Quinn Hughes, obviously if you're going to be first or second in the league in team save percentage and have numbers this astronomical, you are carrying the team to an extent. But also I don't think people generally view even through these first 11 games, as like, wow, Demko's really been carrying the Canucks. I think it probably goes Pedersen-Hughes in some order and then him. And maybe even in some eyes, it would be like talking ahead of that, right? Because of all the culture intensity stuff well, we've talked about. So of the, of the Canucks awards contenders, Vegas only has Tockett as a favorite. 
Yeah. So Tockett is the only is uh, uh, plus six hundred. Uh, Cassidy plus nine hundred. Brindamore plus one thousand as as your sort of finalist group at the moment. Um, but you know, for Pedersen's third for the Selkie, you know, top seven for the Hart, and Quinn Hughes's second to Kale McCarr in to- a sort of a class of his own for the uh, Norris. So at the moment, anyway. I th- I sort of see Demko as being like the best value of that group. The thing that I love about this category is that you can quite literally burn your money on fire by and voting just on about as anyone. Well. Yeah. Well, no, yes, but uh, like you could you could literally put money now on Mackenzie Blackwood and Capo Kakinen, and it's like <laughs> why? <laughs> I just I, I I love that. Um, yeah, I think Demko, obviously, just based on the head start, is interesting. A lot of these other goalies will either not have the team success or are kind of in tandems. Like, I know Allmark won it last year, but regardless of how well he did, it's like Swayman is just as good, if not better, in some people's eyes, and so it'll be really tricky for him to distinguish himself. I think Ottinger at plus 600 is an interesting one. You and I have spoken quite a bit about how they worked him, like, just rode him into the ground last year right and i think they probably want to avoid that he was so good but he's so good and i think based on his usage so far i think he either him or pete board i mean probably both just really want him to play (laughs) because he's obviously a lot better than wedgwood but also like they just they take the regular season very seriously and i think he's going to play a lot and that might not be the best approach for their stanley cup odds but for the regular season if you're going to tell me i'm going to get 60 to 65 jake ottinger games they're going to win a lot of them. Their defense is still really good, so they don't give up that much. And if he's going to play at this level, that's a pretty good combination. I think both him and Shesterkin are, I mean, the Rangers' defensive performance so far under Pierre-Villard has been so much better. And Shesterkin, I know he won it two years ago, but he kind of he came back down to earth a little bit last year. So I don't think there is concern about like voter fatigue there. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think Shesterkin is interesting. But yeah, it's a, Tricky award. Um, a lot of the usual suspects, I guess, are on top of it. So uh, there's there's some fun value, sort of further down, um, like guys like Ville Husso, who like at least are going to have team success, and their overall save percentage is kind of unsustainably low, probably at the moment. Right. You know, you could see Detroit's shooting percentage calms down just as their save percentage crests. Yes. Um, and and sort of get a stretch like that. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I think you're right. Like Vesna voting 11 games in is incredibly difficult. What about Andre Vasilevsky plus 6600? 6, I know, that's There's a report today he's going to be back for American Thanksgiving. But have they have they played too well? Yeah, probably. Have yeah. they played too well without him? Yeah. You know, I I feel like I just think though if he came back and like and it's asking a lot because he had a very serious like physical setback, right? With with his surgery, yeah. and so it's like I'm. They'll probably ease him in as well. I doubt he's gonna come back. And there's gonna be like you're playing on back to backs and every single night, no yeah. matter what. So he'll probably get to only like thirty ish games, forty games, regardless. Yeah. Um. But I'm just. Not only does everyone obviously love and appreciate what he's done throughout his career, but also just seeing him come back and dominate. I think a lot of these awards are very narrative driven as well, right? And so that would be an interesting one. Okay. Do you want to move on to the uh, to the Norris? Yep. Let's do it. it. It's amazing that there. This is like Vegas sort of sees this as like there's two guys and then there's everyone else. Yeah, 
And I think based on early performance, that's probably fair, right? Um, I think so. Just at least, like, statistically. I, I think if I was going to go purely on value here, I do think Miro Haskinen is just listed too low right now because I think not only is he amazing, but he's never gotten really the deserved recognition in mm. this category. And doesn't it feel like one of these years, especially while hopefully it's merit-driven and not us waiting for a decade and then kind of giving it to him when probably doesn't deserve it anymore, there's going to come a year where it's like, all right, you know what, Miro Haskinen, let's just appreciate him. And so him at plus 1,400 is interesting to me. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's Makara Hughes right now and then the massive gap. Dolly and Fox is hurt. Um, yeah. You know, Dougie Hamilton's not even playing on the top unit power play on New Jersey. Like, he's yeah. just not going to, even if you were going to say, okay, he's going to go nuclear and he's going to have he's 100 not, points. It's like, he's not. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, how about Justin Hole plus 2,000? Oh, my. <laughs> what are, what, what is, is happening? That is tied with Charlie McAvoy, Victor Hedman, and Roman Yossi. That's got to be. <laughs> we have to shout that out. Is that, that is wild. Is that a typo? Uh, it's not. We're both looking at it on separate screens. I know, so. just like. <laughs> that is unbelievable. Um. I mean, relative to Justin Hole at plus 2,000, there's a lot of value on the board. <laughs> I mean, I will say, I don't think, like, Rosmus Dahlin at plus 700, he's third on this list. And I think a lot of that is driven off of last year because yeah. Owen Power is plus 5,000, and he's, been the, he's been the superior Sabres defenseman uh, the, so far. The two dark horses that I like for Norris would be Chikrin and Owen Power, based on the form that they've been in to start the season. Um, I think, obviously, Chikrin re- would require a pretty significant turnaround in the fortunes of the uh, Ottawa Senators, but I think so would Owen Power in terms of the, in terms of how the Sabres are performing. But isn't it more likely the Sabres actually do that? I, I mean, I would say so, but I, I like, I like both teams with, you know, normalized goaltending and a little bit of wind at their back. So, um, you know, I, either way, I think both of them are interesting ones. And, and I think Owen Power is approaching the point where he might be one of the most underrated players in hockey, given how infrequently he's talked about yeah. and how often he sort of is put into the shadow of a player who I don't think is significantly better than him. Like, I don't think there's a big gap in quality between Dolan and power. Yeah. I think if you're just going down this list, like he's not going to win it, but if you're just trying to get in at a good number, Drew Doughty should not be as low as he is. As low as he is, because he has the same odds right now as John Klingberg. Right. <laughs> yeah, and and I think it's worth mentioning. This is an award for the best defenseman in the league. I should clarify. Yeah, I th- I think it's worth noting too that Shea Theodore plus six thousand seems. Yeah, just not enough usage. Like they just like they spread out the minutes so but much. Six hundred right? to one for a guy who, you know, is is what I mean. He's not, uh, he's not. No, that's 60 to one. 60 to one, yes. right. Isn't 600 to one. I, I jump on that. <laughs> it's, uh, point is, he's not, um, excuse me. He's not, um, there's absolutely a world where he ends up like leading NHL defenseman in scoring and gets into the conversation. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's fine. I don't think there's a lot of, beyond some of the names we mentioned, I think it probably will wind up being either McCarr or Hughes. Yeah, the value isn't on the, picking on the, the one of them seen, you think wins. Unless you want to get in a good number and then potentially try to sell it off or something. <laughs> at some point. Um, okay, what award do you want to do next? We've done Vesna, we've done Norris. Let's save the heart for the end. So we could do 
We could do Selkie. I don't think there's like it's kind of I don't know. It's kind of the same conversation every year. We could we could do Calder. Yeah, the one thing that's interesting is don't ignore the impact of an injury. On like right now, Nico Heischer is favored at six to one. Yes, right. Don't underrate the impact of Jack Hughes's injury on Nico Heischer's Selkie candidacy because if the Devils stay afloat in Hughes's absence, which I expect them to do because I think they're really good and haven't played that well five on five yet this season. Yep. Uh, that's going to add real narrative heft. Like the year Corey Perry won the heart, um, gets laughed, got hurt down the stretch. The year prior when H- Henrik Sedin won the heart, Daniel Sedin uh, was hurt for a stretch in October and November. So, uh, you know, one thing I'd note on at the top of the Selkie ballot is Heischer and Barkov are the two favorites. And Barkov with the blue line injuries, Heischer with Jack Hughes now absent for a bit. I think they're going to have real narrative heft from a like held the fort perspective. Yeah. Well, narrative, narrative street. Sean, Street, Sean yeah. Couturier plus thirty five hundred. Oh, I like it. He's also he's also played really well and been a joy to watch. Also, Rupe Hints should not be plus twenty two hundred. I know he like they they generally go for kind of extreme deployment, right? They at least they have in the past where they use their fourth line in a very like defensive zone face offs matchups minutes. But Hints deserves to be in higher regard than yeah. that. I I also think you know narrative street guys like there's there's a few interesting ones. In terms of Sebastian Ajo, if the if once the Hurricanes get rolling here, um, and Bo Horvat stands out to me too, just in that I think the Islanders are kind of a wagon, like they're pretty good. There's absolutely a world where they get to like forty eight, fifty wins, and people are trying to explain it, and he could be one of the one of the reasons. Uh, you know, yeah. In, I mean, there's a, like a bunch of wingers. Percentage. There's a bunch of wingers ahead of them who just like have no universe no, that they're gonna get no chance. votes. Um, so if, yeah. If if Mark Stahl's never won the um, Jordan Stahl, if, sorry, what Mark Stahl or Jordan? Stahl? No, no, Mark Stone. Oh, Mark Stone. Oh my god. If Mark Stone's never won the Selkie, I don't think a yeah. winger. No, has it's not shot. gonna happen. Uh, Calder, can I interest you in a uh, Riker Evans at plus ten thousand? No, that was a, that was a joke. I was trying to see if you were. I mean, you know how I feel about Riker Evans. I think playing NHL games is important for this award. Yeah, I mean, one thing though is the Kraken have struggled and they yeah. struggled against the rush. So it's just such a good class. There's good, so many there's deserving no, options. It's actually loaded. And I will say, Pavel Minchikov. I'm doing a big show on him tomorrow with Daryl yeah. Belfry. We're going to watch Pavel Minchikov video for 50 minutes. Sick. Go subscribe to the YouTube that channel. Like a blast. Hockeypedia cast. After that. I, I think the odds are... We'll, we'll see how much sway we have. I think they might jump up a little bit, but... He's so cool. Plus 2,500, like, he should not be that low. I know it's tough for a defenseman to win that award, especially one not playing, like, even more than 20 minutes per game at this point. But, uh, yeah, I mean, with Bedard, Cooley, like, Luke Hughes, I mean, you go on and on. It's... There's there's so many fun rookies this year. So and there's many. ones playing, like, big roles and putting up immediate production. It's not, like, even, like, a projection in terms of, like, this guy's going to be such a good player. It's, like, they're already doing it, right? So, Ridley Grieg. Yeah. If he hadn't I know he's banged hurt. up, yeah. If he hadn't gotten hurt, I think he would have been a really interesting dark horse. He was sick for that Senators team. Yeah. I don't think he'll put up the counting stats for it, and the yeah. team has, has so many players, but, like, Matthew Patra should not be... Plus three thousand, I think. No, based on the start he's had and how his role is just ascending, like he's so valuable that I think he should be 
more well regarded than that. But yeah, maybe that just speaks to the depth of this class, right? There's there's no way though that there's any better value on this board than Dustin Wolf at plus six thousand. Or plus sixty six hundred. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, if you're doing a narrative street long shot bet, like who else could come in and be cited widely as the reason a team turned it around? That's right. Like he's the only guy with that. Potential. I just don't think it's gonna turn around. Well, I also don't think anyone but Bedard is going to win this award, Bedard or Cooley. And even then, you know, the odds have Bedard as, like, a huge favorite, like, yes. not even even money. Yeah. Um, whereas Cooley, 6-1. to one. But if you were hazarding a long-shot bet, I feel like a, a guy like Dustin Wolf, if, if given the chance, has the profile in the American League. It's actually wild that they haven't turned to him yet. Like, at some point, it's becoming a little, how long do you let your team fritter away... Uh, a season with like an 880 save percentage when you've got a guy who's consistently 935 in the A. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just sort of waiting in the wings. Like it doesn't make sense. Yeah. So unfortunately, I think there's deeper rooted stuff. But yeah, I agree with if you. If you're I'm getting more saying, saves, it'll help. Certainly. I'm just saying, from yeah. a value perspective, I think that's the best one on the board. Yeah. All right, Tom, we got to get out of here. Uh, that was a fun. I, I don't want to spend too much time on it because we are one month into the season. We're going to have. Yeah. But maybe at, at the one, like after every month. I'll bring you back on, and we can and we'll do we'll do quick um, narrative street yeah, awards market watch degeneracy half hour with yes. Tom Strands. Love it. Uh, this was a blast, man. It was as always. It was great to have you on. I'll let you quickly plug some stuff. Let the listeners know what you got going on. Check me out at the Athletic. Check me out on Sportsnet six fifty Canucks talk. That's it. That's it. That's yeah. all I got going today. All right, that's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> this is a blast, man. Thank you for coming on. Thank you to the listeners for listening to us. As I said, we're doing a big Pavel Minchikov episode tomorrow, so check that out uh, on this feed and also on the YouTube channel. As I said, just search Hockey Pediocast, smash that five star button wherever you listen to the show, and give us some love. And we'll be back tomorrow with plenty more of the Hockey Pediocast, as always, streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. We did-